We are in our second week of our series. Uh, we, it's We the Church, a Call to Devotion. Pastor Darren kicked us off last week and preached a great message on Acts 2, 42 to 47. And it was all about coming back to the heart of God. And it was about devotion on prayer, fellowship, being in God's word. And we're going to kind of continue on in this uh, second week. And um, my hope and heart is that um, as we kind of go through the book of Acts, we're going to pick out a few characters or figures. And today uh, is my privilege to preach on the life of Peter. Peter. Peter was a guy who was rough around the edges. You know anybody who's a little rough around the edges a little, right? Or maybe it's yourself. That was me, right? Peter was a fisherman. He would say things without thinking. Think about the time that he even rebukes Jesus himself. He rebukes Jesus for saying he was going to the cross and he's rebuking him. He overreacts. Talk about uh, um, an overreactor, or maybe it's in his heart. He's defending Jesus as the soldier comes. He whips out his little sword, cuts off the soldier's ear. Uh, and there are so many different scriptures about Peter and being very outspoken. And yet, even in his outspoken state, I thought about this thought, um, that he was married. Can you imagine maybe what their marriage was like a little how many of you married know what I'm talking about? Maybe if you, maybe you're that Peter, right? Because it could be a guy or a girl. But I thought about Peter's marriage and what that was like. And uh, maybe his wife was like, really, Peter? Can't you just keep your mouth shut? Here we go again. Really? You got to go. He was the guy who said something and thought about it later, right? He acted and then he apologized after. That was the type of guy Peter was. And yet I think what gives me hope is that if God could use a person like Peter, he surely can use me and he can use you. Amen? He can use you and I. We see Peter in his life. He has such a great love and devotion for God. And through the book of Acts, especially chapter 1 through 11, we see Peter, Peter's name coming up over and over like in Acts 2 preaching on the day of Pentecost, boldly proclaiming 3,000 coming to faith in Christ, Acts chapter 9, raising Dorcas from the dead. Peter's the first apostle, the first one to recognize the Messiah. And uh, there are many things about uh, Peter's life, but I really think we got to take a step back. So I want us to turn to the um, uh, John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and we're going to look at the life of Peter, and I titled this message, Do You Love Me? Do You Love Me? Do You Love Me? For those of you joining us online, you can definitely turn in your Bibles uh, on the app, click on there, and join and follow along with us. So we see Peter, he's so passionate in the book of Acts, doing great exploits for God, but I believe it was because he has an encounter with the Lord. He has an encounter with the Lord where, where Jesus is restoring him. Jesus has already died. He's buried, resurrected, and then he begins appearing himself to his disciples. And we're going to read in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. John 21, 1 to 3. I'm going to read from the NLT version. Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of his disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, the nickname the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. 
Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Catch this thought, right? Jesus has died, raises again, and, and Simon Peter goes back to what's familiar. He says, I'm going fishing. And what does his disciple, the disciple say? Well, if you're going, we're all going too then. Forget this ministry stuff. We're going fishing also. They're going, and they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. They caught nothing all night. Leads to my first point. After he goes back to what's familiar, what's comfortable, three years they had been following Jesus. Now Jesus is raised from the dead, and Jesus is sort of in and out. They're not really walking with him. And my first point is God's devotion recreates our story. God's devotion recreates our story. Before we talk about our devotion to God, I think we have to understand the power of God's love and devotion to us. And what we're going to see here in this picture is that God's devotion to Peter recreated his story. He recreates his story, number one, we're going to read verses four to seven, by reminding Peter of his call. Let's pick up reading verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was, and so he called out, hey fellas, caught any fish? So get the picture right, they're out from shore, about a uh, hundred yards out, thousand feet away, so like maybe from here to the road, the highway, and, and he's calling out, and in one version, it doesn't say fellas, it says, hey children, Hey, children, hey, you bunch of kids fishing, you guys caught anything? And now these are some experienced fishermen. And I, I must have, what was going through Peter, the outspoken guy's mind, when someone who he didn't know said, hey, you bunch of kids, you guys caught anything? I, I bet you Peter must have been like, who, who is that? Who's that guy? Who he think he is? Who would mean us kids? So, so listen to what Jesus says. No, they replied. Then he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. So catch the picture. They're fishing all night, caught nothing. It's the break of dawn in the morning. And, and, and this person is sure who they don't know is Jesus at the moment. Jesus says, hey, instead of throwing it on the left side, throw it on the right. Now think of Peter. Peter's like, oh, you want to call us kids? And you think we've been fishing all night, but if we fish on the left side, and now magically we throw it on the right, that we're going to catch some fish. Yeah, sure. Sure. Right? Can you see Peter? Right? And, and I'm sure maybe John, John was there, and maybe John was like, come on, Peter, just, just throw it. You know, who knows? Maybe this is the time. So they throw it out on the right side, and they pull up a large catch. They pull up a large catch. So let's read the rest of that. No, they replied. So they pull up a large haul because there were so many fish. Here's the key part, verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, that's John, he says, Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. What does Simon Peter do? When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, stripped it off from work. He jumped into the water and headed to Sure, headed to shore. Why is this significant that Peter, his response to catching fish, he, he, he now, remember now, he probably, 
who knows, maybe it was uh, a hot. They're pulling in nets, so he takes off his coat, his tunic. When he realizes it's the Lord, he throws his coat on, his tunic on, and he's like, boys, I can't wait for you to row into shore. I got to get to him. And he starts paddling in. I don't know, freestyle, breaststroke, backstroke. I don't know what Peter was doing. But Peter was in a hurry to get to Jesus. Why was that so significant? I think right now, if you backtrack Peter's life and his ministry, three, about three years, three and a half years prior, Peter has this encounter with the Lord, and we see it in Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 9, what happens? Jesus begins preaching, right? But the crowds begin to press him. And there's two boats at the shore, and Jesus decides to get into Simon Peter's boat. And he tells Simon Peter, push out. And he's there, and, and they begin to preach from the water, the boat, to the crowds. And he tells them, hey, it's shallow. Jesus says, throw over your net. And he's like, but we've been doing that all night. We've caught nothing. Throw it over. And they throw the net, and they catch up a big haul. And Peter's response three and a half years prior was he falls on his face, repents to God, forgive me, master, forgive me. And Jesus tells him, follow me. From now on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Why is this significant? Because three and a half years later, I believe Peter was probably at kind of a crossroads in his life. And I think it relates to you and I also. Because Peter is here. Catch this picture. Jesus dies. And maybe Peter is saying, now who are we going to follow? Now what? Now what do we do? Oh, he comes back from the dead, but he's coming and going. And Peter's not fully catching it because Jesus has already kind of passed on the mantle. He says, like, Jesus like, listen, greater works are you going to do? And Peter is thinking in his mind at the time, and so was the disciple, says, man, I'm going back to fishing. Peter wanted to go back to what was comfortable, what was familiar, what was convenient, and go back to what he knew best. And in this moment, Jesus is recreating a moment where he's telling Peter, listen, Peter, I haven't forgotten that three and a half years ago, I called you the same way, and I'm recreating this miracle so that you wouldn't forget that I'm still called you and my hand is still on your life. And this is for somebody here today who thinks that maybe God called you in your past and you think you're done yet. And God is recreating your story and my story. And he's reminding you that he's not done yet. And I can only imagine what was going through Peter's mind as he's stroking it to shore. He's paddling. He's like, wow, God, I was ready to go back to fishing. And I'm paddling back to shore. And he sees Jesus, his master and his Lord, because God isn't done yet with Peter's life, and he's not done with your life and my life. Amen? He's reminding him of the call of God on his life, because what God starts, he finishes. What God starts, he finishes. What else does God do in this story? God's devotion recreates Peter's story where guilt and shame now become a place of freedom and restoration. Let's continue reading verses 8 to 14. 8 to 14. He's encountering the love and devotion of God. Verse 8. Sorry. Verse 8. The others stayed on the boat, and they pulled up the loaded net to the shore, and they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, 
they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of your fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to shore, and there were about 153 large fish yet in the net, and it hadn't been torn. Uh, let's keep reading on. None of the disciples dared ask him who you are, for they knew Jesus, and he was serving them bread and fish. So what's so significant about this story? What is Jesus doing as he's recreating this story for Peter to have an encounter with the Lord where he restores him the guilt and shame in his life. There is another part, when you see the charcoal fire, there's only one other time in the entire Bible that speaks of this specific type of charcoal fire, and it's in John 18, 18. So let's turn back and read it. What's so significant about a charcoal fire? John 18, 18. Remember Jesus, uh, uh, Peter, the loud mouth, and, and, and John turns to Jesus at the Last Supper and is like, who's going to deny you? And Peter's like, first one to speak up, he says, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. And, and, and Peter is thinking that of himself, and, and you guys know the story that Peter ends up denying Jesus. Well, this is the first time Peter denies Jesus. John 18, verses 15 through 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another disciple. That disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter into the high priest's court. Peter said, had to stay on the outside gate. Then the disciple knew the high priest, spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and said, let Peter in. So now get this, woman at the gate. Jesus going in before Jesus goes to the cross. And the woman asked Peter, aren't you not the man, one of Jesus' disciples? And, and Peter's reply says, no, I am not that man. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made, get this, a charcoal fire, and they stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Why is this significant? Because Peter is encountering the love and devotion of God. That in one moment, around a charcoal fire, Peter, can you imagine after he denies Jesus the first time and he's warming his hands, Woo, it's cold, and he's acting like he's trying to fit in, and he's not one of the disciples. He's making like, I'm not a follower of Jesus, warming his hand on that charcoal file, but in him, he's filled with guilt and shame and regret and remorse, thinking in himself, Peter, how could you do that? And Jesus recreates this moment that was filled with shame and guilt for Peter to encounter the love, grace, and mercy of God. Are you getting it? Peter's there. He's cooking the fish. And he's smelling that what just happened a few days ago. That smell of a charcoal fire burning. And I'm sure in Peter's mind, he thought, what am I doing here? What am I doing here when a few days ago, I had just denied Jesus. And here Jesus says, boys, come on in. I got breakfast for you. I got bread and I got fish. Because true devotion, 
speaks of fellowship also. And Jesus is concerned. He calls them in, and they're there. And Peter is experiencing hope, freedom, and restoration. Peter was deeply hurt and wounded, filled with the guilt, shame, and regret. And God is extending his grace, mercy, and kindness to him. Oswald Sanders says it this way, God can't use a person unless he hurts them deeply. God can't use a person unless he hurts them deeply. How many of you ever been hurt in your life before? Been through some tough stuff? Been through some difficult places in your life? And Oswald Sanders is trying to say here, like, like if you've been through that, awesome. God wants to use that hurt and pain, and he will oftentimes bring you full circle back to the place of guilt, shame, fear, regret, bring you full circle to face and confront your darkest moments in your life. Do not run away from the shame the guilt, the remorse, the regret, and we want to keep that far away, and Jesus wants to have an encounter with you and I to say, I'll recreate that whole moment just to rewrite your story. And instead of this charcoal fire being a place of guilt, shame, and regret, this charcoal fire will now be a place of healing, of hope, of restoration, of freedom, and I believe that's what God wants to do with your life today. Some of you are living with guilt fear, shame, regret. God has to call on your life and he's recreating your story if you will let him. If you will let him. He's experiencing the power and the presence of God. When we speak of devotion, we must first encounter the great love and devotion of God to us. And then in response, we see Peter's devotion to God. Secondly, our devotion is a calling. Our devotion to God is a calling. We see this in verses 15 to 17. So they're eating, right? So now verse 15, let's pick this up. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Peter replied. You know I love you. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Jesus told him again and repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Why does Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? And there could be several things. One, maybe it could be, it was a reminder that around that campfire where he first denied Christ, and he's asking him three times, just like how Peter had denied Christ. Maybe that's one way that Jesus is kind of reminding, says, no, do you really love me? How many of you have ever been asked that question? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it's kind of a loaded question, right? It's a loaded question, and it could really go anywhere. You're afraid to answer because, like, where is this going? Jesus is asking this question, and Peter's like, what you talking about, Jesus? You know I love you. But he's trying to drive at the heart. 
It's a well-known concept that a person, for a person to become right with God back then and gain a sense of release from their past rebellion, that person should face the reality wherever that deviation or sin occurred. What basically he's talking about is back then, when somebody left the fold over sin and rebellion and, and those things, when they were coming back to the sheepfold, at times, people were skeptical and says, are you really repenting? Are you really truly sorry? How many of you ever had somebody forgive you and you go, are you really sorry? Do you really mean that? Sometimes we had that conversation with our little guy too. He says, are you really sorry? He knows how to say it because he knows he'll quick, he can get out of it. But are you really sorry? And the people back then would say, are, are you really genuine that this is a true conversion where you're repenting and turning and coming back to God? Or maybe he asked him three times because loving always demands an action. Loving always demands an action. What is the action? There are two actions that he's calling Peter to, I believe. Number one, it's a call to obedience. It's a call to obey. He's just reminding Peter by recreating the miracle. He says, don't you remember, Peter? I called you three and a half years ago, and that call hasn't changed. I'm still calling you today. Come on and obey. And he's recreating his story, the place that the charcoal fire pit was once guilt and shame. And he's like, don't you know me by now, Peter? Don't you catch my heart? Aren't you going to follow me? It's a call to obey. A disciple is simply someone who obeys. Out of all the animals in the animal kingdom, sheep, I think it's so fascinating that Jesus often compared his followers to sheep, and sheep are some of the most obedient animals compared to other animals. At times, they're considered very dense and dumb also. They will do things like chase tumbleweeds and go right off a cliff, and they'll get lost, and, and, and they're very dense and dumb. So sometimes I'm like, Jesus, why are you calling a sheep for? But I think the analogy fits. Sometimes we can be very foolish as sheep, and yet he calls us to obedience. That was the first call. The second call was a call to love, a call to love, a call to love what? A call to love God. When Jesus says, do you love me more than these, I, I often wonder and pictured, was Jesus holding up one of the 153 fish and is telling Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me, Peter, even more than these fish? that You've been fishing all night and didn't catch anything, and I tell you, throw your, your thing on the other side and you see the miracle. Do you love me more than these, even though you're passionate and that's your hobby and, and you'd love to do that more than anything else? Do you love me more than these, Peter? And I'm thinking, boy, does that ring to my heart because I think it relates to all of us today. What is it that Jesus holds in his hands and asks you that same question? Do you love me more than these? Fill in the blank. Do you love me more than your work? Do you love me more than making money? Do you love me more than you do that relationship? Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your hobby? More than fishing? More than sports? More than anything? Jesus is holding it up and asking Peter, do you love me more than these? It's a call to love God first. And he's experienced that devotion that God has for him, and God wants him to choose God back. 
God doesn't want us to choose him as our last resort. He wants us to choose him as our first choice. And I think this is often true in our life that we come to God in our time of crisis when we've tried everything else and everything else has failed. And it's like all else has failed. God, I got nothing left. And he's like, I've been waiting for you this whole time. Haven't you seen how I loved you, cared for you, provided for you, done miracles in your life? It's a call to love. A call to love. It's not just a call to love God. It's a call to love his sheep. It's a call to love people. An argument could be made that if you do not love people, love his sheep in the church, I would dare to say maybe you're not a believer or follower of Jesus at all if you don't love people. Sheep get nasty. Sheep bite. Sheep stink. Sheep carry fleas. And if you get near a sheep, guess what? You begin to stink. You begin to get fleas. You begin to feel the bite and the wrath and the bah, 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 bah. Why is that? Because we're sheep. But Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll love my people. If you don't love God's people, I would dare to say the love of Christ isn't in you. Those are hard words, but they are true biblical words. Do we love people? I'm not saying do we trust people, because you don't have to trust God. I think we put trust and love together. You don't have to trust them, but God does call you to love them. That's why we have wisdom. We don't have to necessarily go back, but we do have to love them. Do you love his sheep? N.T. Wright says this, Christians should be found serving the world with arms stretched holding simultaneously the pain of the world and to the love of God. Catch that picture. He's saying Christians and believers should be holding the pain of the world and the love of God at the same time because you can't have people without problems. You can't have sheep without problems. If you've been around people long enough, you know that we got problems. Look at the world around us. God calls us not to distance, but to take the pain, the racial reconciliation, the things that are happening even politically. How do we love, pray, intercede, be the salt and light, and yet at the same time hold God and the pain of this world simultaneously? God doesn't call us to retreat in either direction, but to hold the two and reconcile the two. The church is called to reconciliation. God's re reconciled us back to him, and he's called us with the ministry of reconciliation to pull the pain of the world to the love of God till they meet. And it's a painful and hard place to be, but that's what God calls us to. Jesus here gives his disciples a twofold mission. A twofold mission. Number one, he tells them, be fishers of men. If, if I could sum it all up, he calls Peter in the beginning and tells them, I'm making fishers of men. What is that? That's evangelism. If you're not sharing your fate, not sharing the love and mercy of God, we're, we're not fulfilling the mission he's called us to. Be fishers of men, but here Jesus spells out the second part that he calls them, the twofold mission. He then says, not only do I call you to share the good news, I call you to feed them. You bring them, now you feed them. You care for them. 
sheep at times when they were, I think this is, this is interesting, right? When they were broken and hurt, that at times the shepherd would have to pick them up and put them on their shoulders and walk for a season with that sheep on his shoulders so that the sheep would know the shepherd until they were healed up and, and they would know it. At times there's been even stories written that sheep would run away and run away from the sheepfold and the shepherd would literally break their leg. Oh, that sounds cruel. Break their leg then put that sheep on his shoulders and then carry them for a season till they learn how not to run away. I think left to our own selfish devices, we will, like Peter and the disciples, run away from the call of God instead of running towards the call of God. And if I can encourage you and admonish you to stay near to the heart of God evangelism and discipleship. Thirdly, our devotion to God is risky. Our devotion to God is risky. Let's read verses 18 to 19 of what happens in the the story. So let's continue on. Verses 18, Jesus then tells them, feed my sheep. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went whether wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. So Jesus told him, follow me. Following the Lord is a call of devotion to great risk. Great risk. I think if we're not careful, and I alluded to this in my message last week, we think coming to Christ is a call to comfort and convenience, but it's actually a call to risk it all. To risk it. That's what God is calling us to do. The people perfectly understood that when Jesus says, follow me, they understood that basically they were giving up their lives as if they understood the cross back then, that cross is the most cruelest, punishful thing that anyone could ever experience. And when Jesus says, follow me, it's the same things he was telling his disciples before he went to the cross. And Jesus is trying to link them to say, this isn't a call to comfort or a call to convenience. It's a call to be risky. And following the Lord will require great risk. And I know this may not be a popular message, but it's the message of the gospel. And it's not an easy message, but it's the message that Christ calls us to preach. And it's not that we, con- we let the gospel conform to us, we conform to the gospel. That's biblical, seeing through a biblical worldview. Follow me. Robert Madu says it like this, Jesus disturbs the comfortable, but comforts the disturbed. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Jesus disturbs the comfortable, but comforts the disturbed. How many of you ever been comfortable before in your life? Every time I notice that I get a little too comfortable, oh, look out. The Lord knows how to shake things up and disturb me. If you've been disturbed, I want to encourage you that God knows how to comfort those who've been disturbed, because that's the God that we serve, amen? Jesus' followers risked their lives, and they knew what it was like to be all in. John the Baptist, the first follower of Jesus, has his head cut off. 
the Apostle Paul, tortured, whipped, beaten, and then beheaded. Peter's right-hand man, Mark, tied to a horse, then drugged through the streets. And I think we need to come back to having an understanding of what the church was like because if we're not careful, the church has become too soft too timid, staying back and not moving forward. God's not called us to be on the defense, but be on the offense, moving forward, taking the gospel until all have heard. Mark dragged by a horse. Thomas, who touched the wounds of Jesus, he gets speared for taking the gospel to India. John, the writer of these passages, boiled alive in oil, then surviving it, exiled to pass. Patmos and still is writing letters after being boiled alive and he writes the book of Revelation there. Peter himself and his wife killed on the cross and Peter's last request who we're talking about here, you talk about him experiencing a love and devotion to God. He so experienced a love and devotion that God had to him that he says, Jesus my Lord, my master died on the cross. Don't you let me die the same way that my master died. You hang me upside down. I don't deserve to be hung and killed the same way that they killed him. And him and his wife both go to the cross. Devotion to God requires and is a call to great risk. And I want to preach this message, and, and it's with trepidation. And I, I say, Lord, at times I, I'm afraid to preach this. I want to preach nice messages and encouraging messages. But it's the message of the gospel and the message of the cross. Because when you look at the world around us, ladies and gentlemen, the world around us isn't getting too much better. Have you noticed? Have you noticed the sin and the evil? And they're talking even now and about how they want to even uh, legalize pedophilia and having sex with little children and move that into the thing. I said, where have we gone? Where have we come from? And if the church stops being the church of God, the salt and light of God, we got to hold on to God and hold on to the pain of the world and reconcile the two. And it's a tough and difficult call. And it's a call only for those who are all in. All in. It's not for the timid or the weak or for sellouts. It's for people who truly love God and will be devoted to follow him. I wrote this down here. Devotion is knowing not just what you live for. Devotion is knowing what you're willing to die for. You want to know what devotion is like? It's not just what I want to live in life for my job and for money and for houses. It, it's so shallow. What I'm willing to die for requires a great devotion. I'm willing to die for my family and my kids. Why? Because I'm devoted to them. Ain't nobody better do anything that would harm or cause anything to them. I'm willing to devote my life. I'm willing to devote my life to this gospel the rest of my life. All of my existence, I could be making a lot of money doing other things with my skills, gifts, and talents, but I count it all for loss so that I may share the good news so that one more person may experience the power and the love of Christ, that they may find freedom and hope in him. That's the message of the gospel. It's the message that he calls us to. Devotion is not just what you're willing to live for, but what you're willing to die for. Lastly, devotion is risky. Devotion is risky, but lastly, devotion to God is a personal choice. No one can make the choice for you. It's a personal choice. I have the worship team come as I close.
Let's read John chapter 21, verses 20 to 24. So, okay, so he just tells him, follow me. Then Peter turns around and saw the disciple behind him whom Jesus loved. So get this picture. I want you to see it, right? Jesus tells them, hey, you're going to be willing to give up your life and death, and this is how you're going to die. And, Jesus, uh, and Peter goes like this. Me? He's like, what about those guys? <laughs> Let's read on. He goes, what about the one whom you love, Jesus? What about the one, Lord, who will betray you? And he says, what about him, Lord? What about, what about those guys? What about my sisters? What about my friends? And, and, and he goes on here. Jesus replied, if I wanted him to remain alive, speaking of John, until I return, what is that to you? Jesus just like slaps Peter. Peter, what is that to you? If I want to keep John alive, what is that to you? Why? Because it's a personal call. And no one can answer that personal call but you. And we see John ends up, he does survive. And Jesus is talking to Peter in this moment. So the rumor spread around the community of the believers that this disciple wouldn't die, speaking of John, which ends up happening. He dies of old age. But that isn't what Jesus said for all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies of these events and who recorded them here. And we know of his account of these things are accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Peter's concern as Jesus is trying to zero in on him. How many of you ever been there where your parents ever or, or uh, someone zeroes in on you to correct you and you're like, what about my sister? What, 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 about, what about them? You gonna let them get away with it? What's the matter? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking to them. I'm not talking to them, right? Peter, I'm talking to you. What's it to you about the rest of them? I'm calling you. And a devotion to God is a personal choice that we all have to make to choose. Either we will deny and walk away. Because at the end of the day, we cannot make excuses because we can say, oh, I cannot serve you, Lord, because my mom, she was too pressured. My dad dragged me to church. My cousins, do you know what people did in church? Lord, what about them? Why don't you get them out of church and then I can go to church? That would never happen. The whole church would be empty. Why? Because it's filled with people of hurts and broken and pain and trauma and shame and grief and pain. And God wants to hold the pain of the world and hold on to his hand and then to be reconciled. And he does it through the vehicle of the church. Why is the church at times some of the most messed up place, yet the most targeted place on the planet? Because God uses the church as a vehicle of restoration, holding God and the pain of the world simultaneously. It's a personal choice that he calls us to. Peter's saying, what about John? What about Mary? What about Sue? I want you, Peter. It's a personal choice to follow him. I think what's interesting is that Jesus' first words to Peter in Mark 1.17 is, follow me. And Jesus' last words to Peter in John 21, 22, 
is follow me. It's a personal choice. It comes down to you and I. He's trying to tell Peter, Peter, I started off with this. Follow me. And these are the last words I'm going to end with. I don't need to tell you something new. I'm going to remind you of what I already told you. Follow me. Someone needs to hear this message today. You've been walking around and having personally chosen. You know what's best. And you're either making the choice consciously to choose not to choose him and choose your own way or you choose Christ. It's simple. And the message simply is, follow me. The words didn't change for Peter. What does devotion look like? It's following Jesus. What does devotion look like as we're going through this series? We've got five more weeks left in this series. What a call to devotion. We, the church, a call to devotion. What does it look like? It looks like following Jesus. Our theme this year is increase. Can I just say, we're already seeing and witnessing what God is doing in and through people. We're hearing miracles and what God is doing, how people are reaching out. You know that even in the midst of this great uh, turmoil and, and tragedy, even with coronavirus and everything, and, and, and you would think even with finances and other things in the church, it took a major dip, and yet it's grown far above what we could ever imagine, even what it started with. Why? People are sharing. God's been speaking to my heart. It's time for me to get back to church. It's time for me to get back in the church. They write letters and say, Pastor, I haven't been tithing in so long. In fact, I haven't even been to church. But the Lord is speaking to my heart. It's time for me to come home. I'm watching you online. I'm watching the church online. I'm waiting to come back. But here's my tithing check I'm sending in because God's calling me. Why? Because it's a personal choice. It's a roundup. And I can't answer the call of God from any one of my siblings or anyone else. But I got to do it for myself all throughout this series we've been talking about devotion and what is devotion and when you look at and study that word devotion it's a love a loyalty and enthusiasm enthusiasm for a person activity or cause there's a huge difference and i love what pastor darren shared last week when he talked about the difference between discipline and devotion i don't know about you but i kind of dread the word discipline right discipline i gotta eat right stop telling me that i know that i gotta work out i know that like discipline is just this hard thing but when you truly fall in love with someone or something rather than it being a duty it becomes a delight and when we fall in love with god and experience his radical love for us his reckless love for us we begin to see how, Lord, following you isn't a duty that I have to do. When I recognize what you've already done, it's a delight for me to follow you. If you study that word devotion deeper, it has its original meaning and the roots of that word in this idea of consecration and this idea of covenant, if you dive deeper into that word. We talk about being devoted to God. It's this idea of a consecration and a covenant with Him. And I've talked to you folks many times about covenant. 
And it's this thing, right, the two parties, they kill two animals, split it on each side and a bird on each side and a sheep on either side. And the two parties walk through it and they walk to the other end and they look back at the animals that are dead on the ground. And between the two parties, they're saying, if I ever break this covenant with you, may what happened to these animals happen to me, to you. And you need to know when God comes into a covenant with you, what he says, he will do. What he promises, he will see through. He will keep his end of the deal and the bargain every time. A covenant also requires us to keep our part of the covenant. And it's a personal choice. I want us all to stand in closing. Why is Peter devoted, sold out, loyal, doing great exploits for God? Because he himself experienced the loyal, covenant-keeping love of God. It's the same love that Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 3, 22 to 23, about uh, 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 that God, in the morning, what does it go? Uh, in the morning, waking up in the morning, and he talks about this loyal, covenant-keeping God, even though he sees such great disaster and destruction. He said, God is faithful. God is true. God is wanting to recreate your story. There's someone here today running from the call like Peter, and God is calling you back. It's time to answer the call of God. You went back to what's comfortable, what's familiar, what's easy, and it's a call to fulfill. Some of you are here filled with shame, guilt, regret, and God is recreating your story and bringing you back to that charcoal fireplace. Once of hurt and pain, he brings you back and he's wanting you to experience freedom, wholeness, forgiveness, Devotion to God is a call, call to obedience, to love. Devotion to God will be risky. Some of you, God is calling you. He's disturbing the comforted, it's people who are comfortable. And if that's you, can I encourage you, take that step closer to him. He's disturbing you. And for some of you who are disturbed, God's comforting you. It's a call of great risk, but lastly, a personal choice. Do you love me? That was the title of my message, and that's what I believe the Lord is wanting me to ask you today, the same words he asked John, do you love me? Do you love him? Do you love him more than mother, more than father, more than sister, brother, more than children, more than spouse? Do you love him more than work, more than money, more than finances, more than title, more than position, more than power, more than authority, more than status, more than the stuff. Do you love me, the Lord says. Do you love me?